Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again for another episode. Listen in as Tim gives us a full portrait of Jesus as our Savior. Well, the word Savior is definitely used in the Christmas story. Unto you today is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's Luke 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. And the word today is a clue to readers that more is to come, that the Christmas story really comes in five parts, five portraits of Jesus as Savior. But most of us have not been taught to read sequentially or to read uh, books as, as a whole or in one sitting. We'll read a verse here and then read a story here and then go on to try to understand the story. But Luke never intended people to read the Bible that way. It's a great way to misinterpret and misunderstand the story, or simply to get a smaller picture of the picture that Luke wants to paint for us. And This is true all the way through the Gospel by Luke, as well as the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, you really cannot understand Luke at all unless you read and understand the book of the Acts. It's one book with two different parts. But in the case of Jesus as Savior, the portrait that Luke paints of Jesus, it has five different sections. And think of a puzzle, a puzzle with five big pieces, and you put them all together. They fit perfectly. Each blends in with the next. And as a result of looking at all five pieces in one glance, with one look, you'll see the picture of the Savior that Luke intended to give us. So this really is an unanswered questions because for the most part, Bible students are never taught to read the Bible as a big picture. They read it in bits and pieces, but Luke wrote it as a big picture. And so today on this particular podcast, we want to look at five portraits of Jesus and they're all connected with the word today. Until you is born today. He uses that adverb like a signal. Watch for it once, watch for it twice, watch for it a third time, and the fifth time we run across the word today, we'll get the biggest picture, a glorious picture of our Savior. Uh, the story of Christmas is so familiar that I will not bother to read it to you, but rather preface this whole encounter of Jesus as Savior with a prediction that Zechariah made when he was filled with the Spirit uh, regarding his own soon-to-be-born son. He said, Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, Luke chapter 1, verse 68, because he has come and redeemed his people. He's speaking in the past uh, as if this had already happened, but clearly it's to come in the future. He 
the Lord, the God of Israel, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And he continues on with more words about his son, addressed as my child in verse 76. Let's look at that word horn of salvation because it's connected to the word savior, salvation and savior. Uh, The uh, picture of a horn of salvation symbolizes strength. Uh, The horns, for example, of a wild bull are symbols of strength. The bull uses his horns both for defense against attackers and predators uh, of the herd or even himself. And they are also used in a proactive way. Those horns can do a lot of damage when he's on the offensive. They symbolize strength. And so Zechariah is indicating that God would raise up a horn of salvation, which we would understand to be a strong savior, a savior who is really, really strong. But what kind of strong? What kind of enemies is he going to destroy? So we need to unpack that, and Luke, in fact, does it for us. He explains how Jesus is a strong Savior. So we come to the first uh, pit stop here in our journey through Luke, and once again go back to chapter 2, verse 11, where the angel of the Lord spoke to the shepherds and said, Unto you, you as plural, you as a group, Unto you is born today, of course this event occurred at night, unto you is born today in the city of David, that is Bethlehem, a Savior, there's the word, who is Christ the Lord. Now, a good reader will say to himself, well, what kind of a Savior? What does he mean, save? What is the meaning of the term save when it's attached to Jesus? What kind of a savior will he be? Furthermore, you would ask the question, well, did Jesus view himself as a savior? The angel said so, but what about Jesus? What does Jesus have to say about himself? Well, Jesus made in speech his inaugural message, his inaugural message given in his hometown in Nazareth in chapter 2, verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4 of uh, Luke's gospel, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his habit, and he stood up to read the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him, and when he unrolled it, or opened it, literally, he found the place where it is written. And primarily he's going to quote from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Remember, Jesus has been proclaimed as a Savior. Now watch for the themes of salvation that Jesus is going to pull from Isaiah 61. He doesn't use the word Savior, but clearly there is the repeated theme of rescue and of save. Listen up. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach or to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. There's rescue. 
and recover of sight for the blind. That's a type of saving people from blindness, rescue from blindness. But what kind of blindness? To release the oppressed. There's a sense of salvation, a sense of rescue. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's, well, favor, the year of jubilee, when all debts are canceled, slaves are freed. And so he rolled up the scroll of Isaiah, gave it back to the synagogue attendant, and he sat down. Everyone's eye in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he said to them, today, there's that word, today, this scripture, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and a portion of Isaiah 58, is fulfilled as you listen. So it was the angels or the angel of the Lord who said that Jesus was a savior. Here, Jesus himself speaks and says, the person about whom the prophet Isaiah predicted is me. I'm that man. This scripture that I just read is all about me. It's fulfilled as you listened. I'm the one to set free the oppressed and the prisoner and those who are blind. I'm the one to set the year of Jubilee into motion. So Jesus himself identifies with what the shepherds heard in Shepherd's Field on Christmas Eve or on Christmas night, that Jesus indeed is a Savior, but he doesn't simply save people in our thinking from sins. He saves people from all sorts of dilemmas, all sorts of types of oppression, all sorts of type of entanglement and yokes. He is the freedom giver. He is the rescuer. God has sent Jesus to rescue people from various dilemmas, various entanglements, various prisons. And we will see that all through the gospel. Well, there is another use of the word today which helps uh, develop the picture of Jesus as a Savior. We've seen two parts, Shepherd's Field and then Jesus' inaugural address or his maiden speech before his own hometown. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, is the third portrait of Jesus as a Savior. Remember, he is a horn of salvation. He's a strong Savior. But yet we have not seen Jesus save anybody yet. He said, I'm the Savior. The angels said, he's a Savior. But he hasn't saved anybody right there on the spot. No one has been saved today. And so Luke takes Jesus' last public act in chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. is his last public act. And he once again uses the word today. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there who wanted to see who he was. Uh, he was a chief tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus, and he was very wealthy. He has two strikes against him. And because he was a short man, he couldn't see Jesus, so he ran ahead. Uh, very infrequently do we find people running in the scriptures. One of them is God in Luke 15, por portrayed as the father of the prodigal son. And here is another man in a rush. The shepherds also began the Christmas rush when they rushed to see Jesus in the manger. But I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree. 
That is significant in terms of a canonical approach to the Bible, by the way, where <clears throat> here we have uh, uh, a new Adam of sorts who, running away from God, here he is running to a place where he can see God. Uh, Adam ran away and hid in the trees. Here uh, Zacchaeus, who is also a thief along with Adam, now finds a tree, climbs it, and is able to see him. And when he reached the spot, Jesus looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, immediately come down. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down and with joy, he welcomed him. And all the people saw this and they began to grumble, complain. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now that is important for us to note. Luke is setting us up for another portrait of Jesus as Savior and as a strong Savior, a horn of salvation. Zacchaeus is labeled as a sinner, but he is entangled in greed and materialism and idolatry. He lives for money. He lives for the acquisition of material possessions. This is going to be one of the signs of Jesus as Savior. He saves people from that lifestyle. He saves people from a lifestyle of acquiring material possessions as the goal and purpose of their life. He saves people from being greedy. He saves people from not being generous in their gift to the poor and in their gift to God. And Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, not in a year or six months, but here and now, I give half of my stuff, my possessions, to the poor. That's significant. A man no longer wants to be a greedy man pursuing the American dream. This man used to be greedy, but his communion with Jesus Christ has caused him to be generous. And he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will return four times the amount. Truly, man, this man is not only concerned about the poor now, where in the past he was not. Now he is concerned about the poor. In fact, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's actually going to give money to the poor and pay back people that he has defrauded and cheated. And in response, Jesus said today, same word used in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 4, today, salvation, there's our word. Remember, he is a horn of salvation from Luke chapter 1 out of the mouth of Zechariah. Here, Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Another wealthy man who was also generous and who was justified by faith, Genesis 15, verse 6. For the Son of Man, Jesus identified himself as the, as the Son of Man, came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus was lost in greed, idolatry, material possessions, stinginess, and lack of sensitivity to the poor. And Jesus, right then and there, with his word, with his word, which has become redemptive, saves this man. You see, previous to this, Jesus has been labeled a savior himself and by the, and by 
the angel of the Lord. But here he shows. He shows that he is a savior. He shows that by the power of his redemptive word, he actually changes the status of a wealthy, greedy, idolatrous, rich man. With his words, he saves Zacchaeus and finds him for God. So Luke is developing a portrait of Jesus as Savior. The Christmas story has more than one part. It has a number of parts. And this story helps us to appreciate how the story of Christmas has not only a baby in a manger, a man in a synagogue, but now he's actually up and about in his last act of public ministry showing that he is a real Savior. He can save people from the depths of idolatry. And there's very few more severe sins in all of the sight of God than idolatry, especially the idolatry of money. It is what captures so many hearts, and so many are never set free from greed and from the acquisition of material possessions. But Jesus' powerful word accomplishes that right then, right there, today. But we're not done. Uh, our examination of the word today in Luke's gospel would never be finished until we looked at Jesus' final act before he died. Luke reserves this additional use of the word today for the scene at the cross, where he is on both sides, saddled by criminals, one who challenges him to save himself. There's that word again, Luke 23. Um, but then the other criminal who refused to insult Jesus reports these words, and only Luke records them. Don't you fear God, one criminal said to the next, since you are under the same sentence. We, including himself here, were punished justly, and we are getting what our actions deserve. So he is admitting that he's a sinner, and he is admitting that he deserves, in his mind, the death penalty. But this man has done nothing wrong. He declares the innocence of Jesus. He's sinless. And yet he admits himself that he is a sinner. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Now this is important. This is the only time anybody ever has ever talked to Jesus and called him by his name. Jesus, which means to save. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed, and we don't know how, that Jesus would not go to the grave necessarily, but his, his spirit would go into his kingdom. When you come into your kingdom. He believed Jesus was a king, even though there was no throne, no crown, no palace, no courtiers, no indication that this man was in any way a king. No royal robe, no purple robe. And yet with the eyes of faith, he believed that Jesus was the king of Israel and would go into kingdom through resurrection. And in response to that, those key words, and only Luke has this story, you won't find it in Matthew, Mark, or John, 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Don't overlook that. I tell you the truth. That helps us as readers to see that Jesus now is serious and he means business, that there would be no denying what he was going to say next. He said, today, same word used in Shepherd's Field, same word used in the Nazareth Synagogue, same word used with Zacchaeus in chapter 19 in his home. Here we have Jesus using the power of his word. His word is powerful and redemptive, and it changes a man on the verge of death, experiencing the death penalty, a, a criminal at the bottom of society, clearly an outcast. He changes his condition simply with his word. Today you will be with me in paradise. First man in paradise ever. Normally when you die, you went to the place of the dead, which is called Hades in the New Testament or Sheol in the Old. A gap where or a place of the dead where the righteous were on one side and the unrighteous on the other side with a large gap in between. But instead of going to the place of the dead, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross is a better Adam. Here he is on a tree, dying, just as Adam died at a tree. But at the word of Jesus, the powerful word of a Savior, this man is transported immediately into paradise, not to sit somewhere and burn and roast for a thousand years, not to repay for his sins, but right then and there, with, with simply his word, Jesus declares that this man has been forgiven, all sins forgiven, and now ready to enter paradise. That is a strong Savior. Who else can do that? Who else in all of Scripture has the power to transform a man's status from guilty to righteous, from doomed to hell to entitled to heaven? Who else but Jesus? Luke's portrait, see, has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We're able to stick one piece with the next piece of the puzzle, with the next piece of the puzzle. And this is truly a key piece of the puzzle to show that Jesus' portrait of Savior is magnificent, astonishing, so heartwarming, heartwarming, even to the worst of the worst out there. You know, you may have a past that's dark, that's full of shame, embarrassment. You may have a record. But I want you to look at this man uh, visually. Here's a man who's done it all, deserving of death, and he is rescued by a strong Savior. And so the sin that you have committed, the one of the deepest die, is nothing compared to what has happened to this man here. He's probably guilty of some type of murder involved in an in insurrection. We don't know specifically although the word used of him is described elsewhere of people pretty low on the social scale, clearly an outcast. But with a word and a look to Jesus, his whole eternal condition changed. That is a strong Savior. That is the one that you want to follow. He is the one who has the key to the kingdom and the key to paradise. But the story is not over with. As I was examining Luke's gospel for the use of the word today, this adverb, I was surprised that there was no use of the word with the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, 
I expected it. Uh, I saw the word used at his birth. I saw the word used at his death. Surely, Luke would include it uh, with the story of his resurrection. I mean, that's got to be a major episode in Jesus' life, wouldn't you think? So I searched and searched, and I couldn't find it. And then I realized, well, of course, uh, Luke wrote two volumes or two sections of one book, the book of Acts. So I began to search through Acts and came upon the word today at a very significant part of the book of Acts. And just as background, it's Acts 13, verse 33. But if you're not familiar with Acts 13, 33 and its context, that's, that's normal. This is Paul's maiden speech. Just as Jesus' maiden speech was made in Luke 4 in Nazareth, here Paul is in a synagogue. It's his maiden speech, his first speech ever in the book of Acts, and he is speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. His message has three parts. And uh, in the second part, um, uh, Paul uses the word today. And Luke deploys it at the time when he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So here the words are. Uh, verse 26, the second portion of his message, he says, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles... It's to us that this message of salvation, hear that, has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And although they didn't find any proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out everything that was written about him, they took him down from the tree Notice how Paul calls the cross a tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. See here, what's the context of his speech? It's the resurrection from the dead. And for many days he was seen or witnessed by those who had traveled from him with, from Galilee to Jerusalem. That's the story of Luke, by the way, ministering in Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to our people. That is to say, Witnesses to the resurrection. Um, this is what Jesus predicted in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will be my witnesses. He's speaking to the eleven, and he's telling them that they are going to be witnesses to his resurrection. It's not a command. It's a promise. You will be my witnesses, just like you will receive the Spirit is also a promise. They are now his witnesses to our people, the Jews. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, Paul quotes Psalm 2-7 and identifies the subject of that Psalm, the figure in that Psalm, as Jesus. And he quotes these words. The Father speaking to the Son, You are my Son. Today I have fathered you. Today I have begotten you. Now that's a mouthful, but it is important enough for us to once again see that the word today has been associated in Luke's writing with a key episode in Jesus' life. 
his resurrection. And in this case, the word today describes Jesus' resurrection day. Yes, raised on the third day after his crucifixion. So Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the today about which Luke writes, about which Paul speaks. Today, I have become your father. What does that mean? This is Jesus' birthday, his second birthday, into the world of eternity, into the heavenly world. And so the use of today begins with Jesus' physical birthday, and the last use of the word today ends with Jesus' spiritual birthday, his birthday into the heavenly world, where his role as the Son of God is brought to its full fruition. So here we have Jesus once again portrayed as a Savior. But in this case, not only has he saved Zacchaeus from a lifetime of idolatry and materialism, he has saved a criminal from a life of crime, but now Jesus has saved his people from death, the ultimate enemy, the ultimate one who binds us with chains. He has defeated death by his resurrection from the dead. So, Zechariah was right. This is a horn of salvation being portrayed in five separate portraits. Each portrait gives us some little element about Jesus as Savior, but when you put them all together, it is a huge, astonishing picture of Jesus for whom there is no enemy that can withstand his power, the power of his word and the power of his life. And we ought to end this podcast by saying you don't have to wait to become a follower of Jesus. You don't have to wait till you get better. You don't have to wait till you uh, <clears throat> improve your life. You don't have to wait till you finally are able to obey the Ten Commandments. No, today. That means no waiting. Uh, it's now. It's right today that you, too, can call on Christ. Call on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and live for him for the rest of your life. You can do it today. And you can be assured that when you do it from the heart with sincerity of faith, that you, too, will join the thief in heaven when you die. You will not succumb necessarily to the pangs of death forever. You, will, you have been now incorporated into the life of Christ who will carry you at the moment of your death to join the rest of humanity at the Savior's side in heaven. What we've done here in this particular episode or podcast is to show that when Luke writes a story, he often does it in parts. So you have to read the whole book to get the whole part, to get all pieces of that jigsaw puzzle put together. And the result is glorious. It is a picture of Jesus who saves today, but he is the strongest Savior man or woman has ever known. I invite you to consider Jesus as Savior today. Don't hesitate. As Paul said, <clears throat> now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Thanks for listening. We'll chat again next time.
Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.